Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Well, for this episode, that introduction should be adapted because we are talking about puppies. By understanding puppy training and braining, we can better understand how different methods are effective at different stages and how different experiences during puppyhood can affect adolescence. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy. This is the final episode of 2023, and I would like to thank all of you for your interest and support and wish you all the best for 2024. Before starting this episode, a quick note that I completed the PhD course out of the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences. The course was on animal cognition and emotions to improve animal welfare. It was great, it was challenging, and of course it advanced my education. And as I continue to learn, I decided to take in two puppies off of a reserve in northern Saskatchewan, Canada. And as most of you know, I have had hundreds of rescue dogs through my home over the last three decades, but only a very few in the very early stages were puppies. So these pups were found abandoned together on the side of a road, uh, very young. Uh, they were found by a local woman on the reserve who took them to her house. They were kept outside and she fed them. She contacted a local woman who runs group that aids in getting these animals off the reserve and into uh, registered rescues. So I'm active in this group and I, I just decided to take these two dogs. So uh, they were just under three months of age when I got them. It began to get cold in Canada at that time and they needed rescuing. This is a, a really key time in Canada uh, for people, homeless people and for animals because it can get so cold. As well, her dogs had repeatedly beat up the female and the male often just hid. So both were malnutritioned and in need of medical care and a home. So this was about two weeks ago. Um, I drove out with my friend Glenda and I met Glenda because she was originally a client and she wants to become more involved in rescue and so she she helped with Luca which is a dog I took earlier this year that was an adolescent dog that got off the reserve and into a home so she's been our super support system you, you know initially when we got these puppies there was the proper care applied for physical and what I want to talk about in this episode is what I learned and went through and some of my observations with training these puppies or working with these puppies. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a background. The female looks somewhat like a Roddy in coloring. She's uh, fairly lean. Her head isn't big like a Roddy. She is outgoing and friendly and she suffers from FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out in a good way. She's very curious. Uh, she's just no hesitation at all. She just thinks everybody should love her and she should run everywhere and respond to everything. Uh, this is most likely why she was attacked by the dogs on the reserve. She's just relentless. She was probably trying to, to play or get food, get attention from the other dogs or the, the woman. We named her Jonesy. 
Jackson is the male. He looks like a blue healer. He's got a square head that might be from the Rottweiler. We're not sure if they're related, but probably. And you can see videos of these dogs on my Facebook page, Upper Dogology. So please follow that and, and you'll find pictures. They're really good videos and very adorable. Jackson is more of the type to process, or he, he tries to because his brain is still developing and he's, he's young, but he's more hesitant by nature. So he, he stops, he processes, he's hesitant, but he's still very fun and loving, very, very good with people. Um, he's a bit mouthy. He's not really nipping, but he, he jumps. They both jump, typical puppy. He's more hesitant towards dogs. And he will sort of look at them and, and bark, do a little bit of a bark, and then retreat. And that's probably learned behavior from the reserve and probably saved him from getting beaten up. Probably the dogs didn't want to go near him anyway, and they were glad that he was doing that behavior. So that becomes a behavior that he's continued to do. Which is interesting with dogs in the city where I live, because dogs in the city commonly, ones that we're, we meet, are friendly and come up and sort of, hey, you know, and this is this, this is very new to him. Whereas for Jonesy, this is something that she really enjoys. He's a little bit hesitant with other things that Jonesy is not, such as moving vehicles. He processes those as well. He doesn't care so much about my cat, whereas Jonesy does. She's reactive. So you can see a repetition in this personality. It's the same thing. It's not divided the cat, the cars, the dogs, the people. It's their personalities and what they've learned and how they choose to, to react and process carries over to multiple different parts of, of their whole entire personality. With the cat, Jonesy is just very forward and wanting to go investigate, very curious, whereas Jackson is not interested and, and is choosing not to go. And what is interesting about this is that Jonesy would appear to be quote-unquote smarter because she was quite quick to learn basic commands such as sit and to implement this action without direction, especially to get a treat. They both do this now. This is, of course, standard positive reinforcement training, which, you know, sit for a treat and get a treat. Standard positive reinforcement training. It's also bonding. We also should really think about what it is that's bonding. It's not just the treat that's bonding. It's the connection with them, the communication, getting them to process and think and to make these decisions and think, right, if I focus on this, if I sit, get a treat, this nice lady, it's not just the food and the treat that's doing the work. It's, it's the thinking. So the treat is the motivator in that specific situation. But very quickly, I was able to get a sit at doors when they wanted to come in or go out and for toys and to get padded. It's the same method. It's positive reinforcement, but the reward isn't a treat. It's what that they want at that time. It could be a toy. Jackson has learned these commands. He just processes differently. He actually got house training more quickly, which commonly involves some amount of negative reinforcement. And I know this is a huge controversial word or term or application or part of a method in the dog training world. So I'm going to just talk about this a little bit. And of course, there's more on this in the early episodes of this podcast. 
But what we need to keep in mind with negative reinforcement is that the platform of reinforcement-based training, operant conditioning, is that it does require both sides, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. That's operant conditioning. But this can be done simply by saying no, have a change in tone of voice, being calm, being clear, so that they can understand wanted versus unwanted behavior. It's also important to keep in mind that this is human nature. It's human nature to apply this. And, and it can be effective. But it it's interesting that the negative had very little effect with Jonesy, which probably explained why she was beaten up on the reserve, because she didn't care or learn when the dogs on the reserve corrected her. So for the house training, I used proactive, positive reinforcement training only with her. So I had to catch her uh, first simply by watching her. So before she messed in the home, I had to watch her and catch her and take her outside. And then... Um, you know, reward her when she went out there. Whereas with him, I, I could just repeatedly take them out, even though he hadn't indicated needing to go. And when he would go outside, I would do positive reinforcement training out there. He, he didn't really seem to care that much. So it was interesting. I, I, I guess I sort of never really did negative reinforcement training inside and have it be effective, which is interesting because there are so many uh, forms of negative reinforcement training with house training. I think house training is one of the most common ways to dissect operant conditioning and how well it works. And in this case, I really didn't need it with Jackson at all. And it just sort of simply wasn't effective with Jonesy. But it can work with dogs, I suppose. It it's sort of didn't with these guys. And it was more important to do proactive positive reinforcement. Having said that, with Jonesy, she was more responsive to just a, a gentle knee reaction when she jumped on me. And then I followed this with a sit and then gave a reward, which wasn't necessarily a treat. It could have just been padding or um, I have a gate, a baby gate up in my house and maybe they wanted to get through the baby gate, for example. So I don't separate training. I don't say, okay, we're going to do 10 minutes and just use a treat and we're going to teach sit. There were many opportunities to do this all the time throughout the day. I just included it into what we're doing. So if they jumped on the door to get in, for example, I just gave a gentle no and then told them to sit, and now they know to sit at the door. Getting a treat and with the food bowls was actually the most challenging because they're very food-driven. So one would think that the typical with training is you want to find something that's really motivating. Sometimes that can make it the most difficult. And you don't want to focus on only one reward, but focus on all the opportunities that allow them to think and process and bond. It's Remember, it's not just about teaching a command. It's a form of bonding. So if using a food or a treat makes this too challenging, then try your best to not enforce it. Don't say, yes, you're going to sit for a treat and I'm going to make you sit. If it's just too challenging, teach those at other times. And don't only think of the food as the reward. So, for example, it's, it's getting a little chilly here. In the mornings or in the evenings when they go out and they do their business outside, they come running to come in. They don't want a treat out there. 
they want to come in. So that becomes the reward. Do they get a treat when they come in? Well, yeah, probably. But they're not running to me for a treat. They are picking their own reward. They go out, they do their business, they come in. They're like, whew, okay, this is good. So think about what is it important to them. Don't run around chasing them to give them a treat or don't set things up. Be creative. Think about your opportunities for very simple, basic commands that can be bonded. Crate training with these guys was a breeze. They were in a large crate together. However, at this point, I'm now able to separate them into different crates. Putting a blanket over them to keep them quiet, this actually works with these two because it's soothing and comforting and they sort of know it's, it's okay, time out, she's not going to let us out. But it's commonly not effective with dogs and that's due to brain development and cognitive processing. So, so people find this very challenging during the adolescent stage. They've done their crate training, the dogs like the crate. And then they just decide they don't or they don't want to go in or they adopt an adolescent dog and crate training is challenging and they, they keep pushing it and pushing it. With puppies, it's, it's, it's a good thing to crate train. But with adolescent dogs, things like putting a blanket over it doesn't always work. And again, that's, that's due to brain development. It would be like trying to use a teether for a baby or singing to them which will work with a baby, but doesn't always work as children get older. Other puppy strategies, such as hiding an object or replacing an object that we don't want them to have with a positive object, such as a toy, is effective during puppyhood and often not during adolescence because, again, it's teaching right from wrong. And dogs often know right from wrong and they don't care. And I have this actual episode earlier on object permanence. So scientific studies have shown that dogs recognize object permanence, whereas puppies don't so much. So we need to switch. We can't just distract the dog, throw a treat, the dog goes and gets a treat and we, we hide something. Or we can't just replace a negative with a positive. So methods that work during puppyhood don't necessarily work during adolescence due to brain development. It's really interesting for me to see how these just so simply work during puppyhood. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. And I, of course I knew they did and I knew that they were proven methods that work. But it's just so interesting to see that brain development and to see them, you know, realizing and learning that's not a good object, whereas this is a good object. House training a dog as opposed to a puppy. So I'm getting back here a little bit to house training again. It's, it's different because often dogs, adolescent dogs and older, know it's wrong to go in a home or they just simply don't want to go in the home. So they already know right from wrong. But perhaps if we've just adopted a dog or fostering, that dog doesn't know how to get out the door or doesn't know how to let us know that they want out the door. And this is indicated sometimes because a dog will go and hide when so they'll go somewhere where they think the person can't find them or see them they're not just going right in front of us so they know it's wrong but they don't know how to indicate to us that they need out so the exercises for that would be to use the cognitive side of the brain harness those cognitive skills which increase bond and communication so that's different than puppy training where we're literally teaching right from wrong in the case with the adolescent dogs, we don't need a reinforcement. They need to know that we know what they want and that they can come to us to get that. 
So the goal is different. And that's why the method is different. So do puppies think cognitively? Well, I do see quite a bit of cognition going on in their little brain. It's so adorable. You know, they cock their head and and they, they try to figure things out back to curiosity. There's a video I have on my Facebook page. And I know I keep going back to it, but it's so adorable because you can see them trying to figure out what I'm doing. They're curious and, and I'm making a noise. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Hmm. And they're cocking their heads and their ears are going in there. They're depending on my tone of voice or my tone of um, doing that. They're responding differently. The concept of curiosity is interesting because with re repetition, the curiosity level goes down. And this is exactly what happened. When I repeated that the next day, they weren't as curious. That's due to desensitization. And socialization is a form of desensitization. As we continue to socialize and repeat, having them do things where their curiosity decreases, they become desensitized and socialize. This is just standard puppy training process that is good and positive, as you can see with Jonesy and Jackson. Some of them process differently than others. They respond differently. It's a very basic level of stimulating cognition. So we can do this during puppyhood and we should. It's important to stimulate brain function at the developmental stage that each dog is at. CBT allows us to address learned behavior in a manner that does not discourage thinking and processing and using that learned behavior, but rather allows us to harness it. So with Jackson, barking and retreating with new dogs due to learned behavior, at this stage right now with the age he's at, I can give him space and let him process that. But if this is occurring as he develops into an adolescent dog, I have a much greater ability to apply creative cognitive exercises that induce the processing and will be more effective. So I'm thoroughly enjoying having these puppies. In fact, positive reinforcement training and common strategies are effective with puppies. Many are simply human nature, logic, common sense, but it's really interesting to apply them and see their brain be stimulated, how it's working, how they're learning. These don't have to be separated from training. Just think of doing these exercises as part of everything that you're doing in their day. It doesn't have to be 10 minutes out of the day. Think about how they're processing, how they're learning, what you're teaching them, your teaching opportunities, your rewards. These are all the time, all day long. It's creative. Note their indicators of cognition, the head tilt, the ears perking, stopping, thinking, processing. It's really fun and interesting to take note of this as opposed to only focusing on right from wrong. Dog training needs to advance from ticking the boxes. We're not always simply teaching. We should view it as encouraging thinking, processing, decision making, expressing individual personalities, recognizing what's important to each dog. Reinforcement based training can do this, but it's limited simply because of the intent and principles guiding those methods. So by combining methods and incorporating cognition 
thought processes, and we can stimulate cognition while teaching. And then we can morph, literally grow, from standard puppy training into harnessing these cognitive skills during adolescence. And this should be a common process as dogs continue to develop and grow mentally. We need to grow with them. So for more information on that, please check out the earlier episodes of my podcast or many of my guest appearances on shows or my presentations at different conferences. These are available on the Upper Dogology website, Doglogic website, through my link tree. And links for those are in the show notes. Thanks again to OpenStrom for the music clips. Please follow Upper Dogology on Facebook and Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'm Billy Groom. Please share episodes and posts and feel free to comment or reach out. Thank you so much for your support. This year has been a journey unto itself. I hope your 2023 was good to you and I wish you all the best for 2024. Enjoy your learning journey. No more Let's start to help each other.